Hello, I'm Sandra Patel-Stewart, CEO of Transition Partners. And I'm Ellie Nettleton, Managing Director. Welcome back to our Let's Talk Leadership podcast, The Culture Edit. This season, we're super excited. We're going to be focusing on how leaders embed a positive organisational culture. And welcome to the Let's Talk Leadership podcast. As you all know, on this series, it's the Culture Edit. So we're speaking to tech leaders about how they run their businesses and high-performing teams. We are super excited today because this is actually a very special episode. It's our first live in-person one since the pandemic. This is exciting. And you can do a little whoop. There's people here, actually. (laughs) I've got a crowd, which is lovely. Um... We are sponsored this evening by Scott Logic, and they're hosting us in their Leeds City Centre office. As usual, I'm joined by the lovely Sandra Patel-Stewart, but we have three wonderful guests with us tonight to talk about their tech leadership experiences. Firstly, I'll allow the lovely Paul Pilling to introduce himself. Hi everyone, I'm Paul Pilling. I am currently Digital Transformation Lead at Lowell. Um, I've been in and around change for about... 20 odd years, hence the grey beard and the lack of hair. Um, I am a married man with two boys and I love culture, love diversity, love inclusivity and believe that's the way that tech is going to go. Amazing. Marcia Branken. Hello everyone, I'm Marcia Branken. I did the icebreaker. <laughs> um, I am um, mother of two, wife of one. And delivery principal at Scott Logic. Um, if you would ask me what I value most through my career, which has been in tech all my life, it is the teams and the people that I am surrounded by. I have um, a couple of amazing customers at the moment with quite a number of really, really good teams, and that is the thing that makes me want to come to work in the morning. So yeah, that's me. Perfect. Gillian Elliott-Hartman. Hello, I'm Gillian Elliott-Hartman, and as you can tell from my uh, accent, I'm from uh, Lancashire. Um, I currently uh, am a service lead at NHS Digital. Um, I've been there for just over six years. I'm also married and I have two kids, and as we were discussing earlier, about having girls. Um, I am sorry to my mother for everything I ever did. (laughs) Um, But uh, just a quick little bit of background. Um, I actually uh, came into technology via teaching. So, uh, God forbid me why I went into teaching, but I did go into teaching. um, And I started off in IT teaching. I now do service management. Uh, which I absolutely love, um, and yeah, I've been at NHS Digital just over six and a half years. Amazing, fantastic, brilliant! What a lovely panel we have here today, and so much experience, wealth of experience and backgrounds. And I'd love to hear more about your leadership styles and how you've developed your leadership styles over the years. And um, great to share with the audience today. Um, so we've obviously got a lot of aspirational leaders in the background, um, so it would be fantastic to, if Marzi, you could start with more about your leadership style and how you've developed over the years. Um, so leadership style, I think, pretty much like the icebreaker, is about 
making sure that you understand people are going to follow what you do and what you say and that those things should be the same um, and, and to be kind to, to know that not everybody is in the same place at the same time and you don't know what kind of day somebody's having and you don't know what's going on in the background so the assumption is that everybody is doing the best job that they can and, and that should be your starting position and not to undermine if they've done something that you think is maybe wrong or something you think can be better it's to give feedback in a constructive and kind and empathetic way so I would say my leadership style is servant leadership collaborative um, I'm quite transparent with my team sometimes that lines me in trouble <laughs> but um, yeah so yeah. I love that how you said how like everyone's trying as if they're trying their hardest and I think that's a really great way to look at leadership that's fantastic yeah. fantastic and how about you Gillian um, I would say that uh, I'm a democratic leader democratic and coaching I'm, I sort of flick between the two uh, mainly because in terms of democratic uh, when I look at my team I say to them how do you see this and in coaching, uh, again, how would we do this? I'm very much about um, asking them and leading them and coaching them and mentoring. Um, since the pandemic hit us, uh, and obviously, you know, it was a big shock to everybody, my teams were completely turned around in terms of we went from just supporting data, so mental health, maternity, which was used for like secondary use or so publication statistics. Uh, and we went from that to suddenly being thrown into producing and collecting COVID data, mm. which was a massive emotional shock to my team mm. because they were part of this national response that was all of a sudden what everybody talked about and what everybody focused on. So as a leader, what I had to do was I had to change my tact in looking after them because it was so important. And I was just speaking to some ladies earlier and one of the things that uh, really sticks out for me is mental health. Mm. And prior to COVID, I was aware of mental health. Don't get me wrong, I wasn't one of them leaders that never thought about it. But since COVID hit and the pandemic and how it's impacted people's mental health has just changed the way that I lead you know in in terms of being emotional and empathetic that's amazing I've got a question for you on that note obviously that must have been an, an amount like amount of pressure and something that obviously we've, we've none of us have ever had to deal with how did you you've obviously quickly adapted your leadership style to that situation and a situation that none of us would ever have thought that we'd have to deal with in our lifetime how did you how did you know what to do and how to I react didn't, and... I didn't know what to do I, I was and I'll be honest with you I was absolutely scared to death but the first thing that I knew that I had to do was look after my own mental health mm. because we quickly went from not being in an office mm. to being at home yeah. and I had two teenagers um, I had I didn't have anywhere to sit and work and I was quickly aware that if I didn't look after my own mental health that I would you know sort of I won't be able to look after anybody else's so it was the little things like and you're all going to laugh at this but 
I created a fake commute to work. So I would drop my daughter off at school because part of the NHS where we're classed as key workers. So I could still take my daughter to school. And I'd go to McDonald's and pick up a coffee. And just literally drive back home. But that 10 minutes of taking her to school, going to McDonald's and coming home was my sanctuary. It was like, I felt like I was actually doing that commute to work. Um, and then also I, I changed the spare bedroom into a, you know, into an office. And I know most people didn't have that luxury. But I used to work in my bedroom and I couldn't switch off at night because I could see my laptop. Yeah. So it was, it was, for me, it was about, you know, my own mental health. I needed my mental health to be right so that I could support my team. And I had, you know, I had fantastic support as well from, you know, my senior leadership team and my team. So I made people put the cameras on as well so I could see them. Because mm. we'd gone from seeing each other every yeah. day to all of a sudden being behind this camera. And I don't know how any of you feel, but one of the things that I, I used to hate looking at myself. <laughs> I'd never done that. I used to get up in the morning, do my hair, bit of makeup, go to work. But I never used to look at myself. Yeah. And all of a sudden I'm in front of this screen. And my eye keeps getting drawn to how I look, and I'm thinking, God, I look greyer. <laughs> Do you know what? I think we all went a bit greyer, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. well, fantastic. Well, well done to you, because um, I know from my own personal experiences, a lot of us didn't handle it very well. We've, you know, we've never experienced that previously, so um, well done. And Paul, over to you, then. What's the question? <laughs> so I think the key of, of being a leader is is respecting your people mm-hmm. and knowing and getting to understand them. So like Marcia and Gillian have said, it's, it's about understanding your team, understanding who they are, what they, what drives them, and then making sure that you can protect them from the things that are going to impact them uh, in a negative way and promoting their strengths. So if you can, as a leader, make someone a leader, then you've done your job. And you can walk away and think, do you know, I've done, yeah. I've, I've made that person more than they were when I first met them. And I think that's the core thing of a leader. It's about protecting them from the things that they don't need to be impacted by, yeah. but growing them in the in the right way. Mm-hmm. And when it's right for them, show them the dark side of leadership. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like you know. Balancing that like Obi Wan Kenobi to Darth Vader side for Luke is like where are you going to go? How are you going to do it? And it's it's knowing when's the right time to introduce them to that side because you know I've been quite lucky. I <laughs> just heard R two D two in the background. There. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been quite lucky in, in, throughout my career to to have people that have mentored me and guided me in leadership. Mm-hmm. So they've protected me from that bit. And then when I'm ready, they throw me in mm. and then support them as well. So as a leader, you've got that responsibility. Like, like we've, we've all mentioned children, which is really interesting because being a leader is like being a parent. Mm. Yeah. You don't throw your kids out if they make a mistake. Mm. You know what I mean? And, and that's yeah. the way you should be as a leader. You might consider, you might think, oh, one absolute muppet, why have you done that? But then you take them in and you explain to them what they did wrong 
how they may approach it next time, and that's the benefit. Did you have to do it this week when your son broke your nose? He <laughs> 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 you did. Yeah, yeah. Poor Paul, we were a bit Paul, worried Paul's about tonight. Broken nose. Yeah, yeah. Paul broken nose. It was Stanley. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a great knee, to be fair. Um, <laughs> if it had just come a little bit down to the left, it would have broken my ass. <laughs> Absolutely love that. And I think that, um, you know, from a leadership point of view, it can be quite almost feel, you know, like threatened um, or challenged when, you know, I think there's a lot of leaders who who can't see that um, within their people and really kind of nurture and, and coach and train people to almost take over their role. And, and I think, you know, I think that's fantastic that obviously you've recognised that. And it brings me on to next question, which is, We've all we've all got role models. We've all we're all like you know. We've, there's all there's there's someone that we've all looked up to. We've all found truly inspirational, and we want to be them. We want to be them and better. Um, so, question to you guys is, and I'll start with Gillian. Who's your role model and why? So, what I want to do is I just want to uh, flip that around. Um, to sort of like a negative side but it'll come to fruition as to what I'm getting to. So um, I worked for uh, a big corporate company. I was in the early stages uh, of my career. I just sort of got into service management. Um, So I was about 25, 26 and I was at work and I got a telephone call from my dad saying that my mum had been rushed into hospital. So bearing in mind my mum was uh, 47 years old. Uh, Anyway, so Downstairs, literally rushed to the hospital. Unfortunately, she died. She'd had a massive stroke, which came out of nowhere. And uh, my mum was my rock. She was like my best friend, and she was like everything. And I was devastated. And uh, obviously, I like work now. My mum's died. I'm, I'm not going to be in. And the last thing on my mind was when I'm going to go back. Yeah. Because it just, it wasn't a priority. I had a six-month-old baby as well. So I was still in sort of, you know, baby brain. Um, Anyway, um, because she died so suddenly, it was very much a case of they had to do all these tests. And it wasn't as quick, sort of getting the funeral sorted, as what you would normally do. Um, And just before the funeral, I was pulled into the office. I was asked to come in on the uh, basis that it was a HR meeting and I thought they were going to check my well-being. And I sat there and they told me that I had to return to work. So I was like, wow, okay, right, well, I've got got the funeral next week. Let me get that out of way. Mm. And I was putting on a brave face... um, so I got the funeral out of the way and I literally went back to work three days after the funeral and I was I couldn't even talk to people when they were coming up and they were saying I'm really sorry I'd burst into tears and I'll be honest with you my work declined yeah, yeah. I wasn't motivated I couldn't concentrate and I kept going into my manager and I'm like I can't do this yeah I've not grieved and he was just like he wasn't interested at all and I was promptly removed from the company. At that point wow. in time was a complete and utter turnaround for me because I knew you didn't treat people like that. Yeah. And I know I was young and you know it's not often that parents die so young, but I knew that that wasn't how you treated people. Mm. And from that point in time, 
I promised myself that if I was ever in that position, mm. that I would never, ever, ever treat somebody like that. Yeah. And I'll just tell you really quickly, just before Christmas, one of my team members uh, rung me up mm. to say that she needed to take a couple of hours off because a cat had died. Now, this lady doesn't have any children. Her whole life is her cat. Yeah. And I sat there on teams and cried my eyes out with her mm. because she was still grieving. And I gave her the time to get over that. So I don't have anybody specifically that... Uh, was my role model mm. but I have that point in my career where I completely you know changed don't want to be. and I knew what I didn't want yeah, to be yeah. and that for me is why I feel that I am an empathetic leader mm. and, you know I'm not I'm not a pushover at all but I understand people I understand yeah. their different mm. scenarios their different Feelings, and I think that's really important. And I think this is what a lot of the pandemic has brought forward. Mm. You know, and I were talking about mental health earlier, weren't I? And not really understanding that, understanding mental health, and understanding the emotional intelligence of your team. I think is so important now. Yeah, definitely. Does anybody else like to add anything on that note? <laughs> <laughs> Don't think we can talk Any that. amazing role models that you'd like to share with the audience? No. But- People over there. There's a good. There's a good few in the room. I've been quite lucky, you know. I've had some great, great role models. One of them is over there, Mick. Who will probably just Mick Holden. You've shown me how amazing you know you could be. But uh, yeah, I think, like Gillian said, it's you learn as much from the bad as you do from yeah. the good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I had to say you were bad that's uh, Sigmund Freud Um, but no I think you learn as much from the bad as you do from the good and you try to model yourselves on the good and the good things that you've seen so the good ones always try to harness that potential so Mick harnessed the potential and a lot of people in the time I've worked with him was about pushing and realising that and like Gillian mentioned the bad ones are the, the ones that you make sure you stay away from. Yeah. Mm. You don't want to treat people like an asset, like an FTE. You treat them as a person. Yeah. And I think as a leader, that's your responsibility. Treat them the way you would want to be yeah. treated. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know, you don't, you don't necessarily remember people's names and faces, but you remember yeah. how you felt yeah. or yeah. how they made you feel. And that's quite powerful because mm. you have that power over people as well. You can make them feel in a certain way. Well, that leads me because according to Forbes over 70% suffer from imposter syndrome even us extrovert mm-hmm. confident people we still have time where you doubt yourself so I'd love to know as leaders what your top tip really is to help supporting your team combat imposter syndrome who's got the best answer we were actually talking about that before we started. Yeah. Because that was the worst question we thought of. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. And who said they had the best answer? it's so much easier to help your team to overcome that because it's easy to tell people that they're doing a great yes. job and that don't worry about it and celebrate the little steps so mm. you don't have to wait for the grand vision to be realised you can really celebrate every single step towards that but then I think you're quite hard on yourself normally I, I, yeah. Yeah. yeah I think um, one, one thing I've learned is 
is celebrate your little wins. So there's being humble? Is that, can I say that word? Yeah. I said not there. I said humble for the podcast. F hashtag CK being humble <laughs> uh, by Stephanie Saul Williams is talking about your little wins. So at the end of each day, write down in a book the things that have gone well yeah. that day. Don't focus on the bad stuff. Focus on the good stuff. So you may have had really, really horrible meetings, but then you had one great meeting that's led you to a great idea, that's led you to a great initiative, that's invigorated you. Write that in the book. And if you're having a bad day, flick back and look at it. Um, and let them know that everyone has a bad day. Yeah. So imposters, everyone, you know, as you go through your career, if you step into a role that you feel comfortable in, mm. you've stepped into the wrong role. Yeah. yeah? If you step into a role that you, you sit there and you think, oh, what have I done this for? Mm. I've left that really cushy job over there and I've stepped into a role over here where... I'm not quite sure where I am, what mm. I'm doing, what the outcome is, then you stepped into the right job. Mm. Because yeah. you're gonna stretch yourself, you're gonna grow as a person, you're gonna grow your experience. Yeah. So imposter syndrome is just that step where you think, I've gone too far. Mm. Well you haven't because you got that job for a reason and focus on the reasons that Everything you got it happens for. for a reason, is what I say. Yeah. I think like authentic leadership as well, like if, you, if you're going through things yourself, like your imposter syndrome, like when you doubt yourself, it's so important to just to communicate that through your team, isn't it? Mm. So you know that everyone goes through it and you're not just, I think when you're younger and you think of leadership, you think of someone that never makes any mistakes, they're at the top of their game, but being an empathetic leader, showing that we've all got faults and no one's perfect. It's just mm. super important to make we sure. Put ourselves under this pressure, don't yeah. We? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I recently, I mean, I was speaking to Ray about it. I went to Ray because I wanted to get somebody mm-hmm. in who could talk to us about imposter syndrome. And in my head, I always, I'd always put imposter syndrome down to being uh, females. Mm. And it was actually one of my male members of staff that come to me mm. and he said to me, and he was a long-standing member as well. He's been with NHS Digital a long time. And he said to me, I'm really suffering from uh, imposter syndrome. And I was like, oh, my God, no way. Yeah. And um, it's a bit like Paul was saying about identifying the quick wins. But the pressure we put ourselves mm. under. So we go into meetings and we're like, I've got to know everything. Yeah. If I'm asked something, I've got to be able to say straight away the full answer. Yeah. But we've got to retrain as brains in thinking it's all right to say I'll come back to you on that one. And we don't. We put this unnecessary pressure on ourselves. We're not 100%. We're not going to know everything all of the time. And for me, it's it's down to supporting each other. And I think you were saying about just being kind. Do you know what I mean? We shouldn't be in meetings expecting, you know, like all this knowledge and information to be yeah. there all of the time it's, it's okay right. to not know isn't to it to not know and like, that's what yeah. we should get across yeah. you know and that's what I think a lot of the when I think of imposter syndrome I always think about I'm going to get found out I mean what's going on <laughs> <laughs> you're that, I'm going to get yeah. found yeah. out I'm going to get found out I think that's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely agree with that so where does that come from where is those words because when I speak to anybody about imposter syndrome that's what comes out I'm yeah. going to get found out yeah that's like something a five-year-old would say but that's how we feel isn't it yeah i think it's um there's like some really great points around imposter syndrome and it's just something we're continually going to have to work on in supporting our teams as leaders but also personally as well um a lot of great tech leaders here tonight that would love to know a bit more about collaboration within cross-functional tech teams like your top tips for collaboration 
last year, didn't speak last month. <laughs> 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 and, and I have your answer as well. Um, it's allowing people's points of view. So now we're yeah. getting into the whole diversity thing, don't we? So I can only live my own life. I can only have my own background. Mm. So my point of view is almost always going to be different from Paul's point of view, it's going to be different from Gillian's point of view, because I didn't live their lives, they yes. lived their lives. And it's appreciating that everybody has a point of view which is valid, because what you see is your point of view. It's not necessarily the truth, and it's not necessarily everything, mm. and it's not necessarily the full picture, but if you put all the different points of view together, that's when you start getting the full picture. So where does collaboration come in? You have to make sure people feel comfortable and confident to be able to share their points of view so that you can get that full picture. And then, then the magic starts to happen because then you can problem solve in the way that you never can do on your own. Mm. Love that. Cool. Anything you want to add? I think collaboration's linked really closely in organisations to psychological safety. Mm. So if you can't be open and honest about your feelings and what you think about something, then you can't collaborate. You can only communicate, and there's a difference. So I can say I don't like that question, but I won't tell you why, and I can't explain why. So the collaboration is about coming to a common understanding where you can move forward. Yeah. And I think that's the difference between the collaboration and the communication, and that's why... It's important, I think, like, there's so much stuff around psychological safety is this and yeah. it's not this, but it's, it's mm -hmm. about treating people with respect. It's about knowing and understanding why you're saying these things and taking the time to delve if you need to. Um, and I think in that collaboration, and, and Marcia linked into it really good, it's about the diversity. We don't know people's backgrounds. We don't know why they've said that. We don't know their job and mm -hmm. how they were treated in the past as well. So I think those things there go hand in hand. So collaboration, psychological safety, diversity, and that respect are all the key things to do that. And even take us back to the imposter syndrome thing, because if you, there was, I don't know if you know John Amici, I follow him on yeah. LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. he, one of his New Year's um, talks was about being less cruel be, and not being that person that's trying to get one up on somebody mm -hmm. else. Yeah not being that person that sneered at somebody else or trying to make a better point and then feel all, you know, all about it. Because you actually just, you, you don't build collaboration that way. Yeah. You don't make people feel that it's safe to fail or that it's safe to say something. Yeah, you want to empower individuals, mm. don't you? Yeah, perfect. Fantastic. So bringing me back to your point around diversity, um, what's really interesting is... Um, whole kind of I recently read um, an article written um, by Gartner around the performance of diverse teams and how the performance within inclusive diverse teams have increased productivity by up to 30% and obviously there's a huge challenge right now as well as a challenge in general across the market with attracting talent and people but also getting the you know ed and i and it's like well how do you question to you guys is how do you tackle that situation currently in the current marketplace like what what have you done differently or what what advice would you give to us all around how we can overcome those obstacles and challenges i was actually speaking to somebody before the event um I think it's one of your guys, actually. Um, <laughs> because he was in education, so that's kind of, yeah, that's how oh, yeah, the that's came around. Yeah. But I don't think that there's enough talk to children 
about what kind of jobs there are, are yeah. definitely in technology, because children wants to be teachers or doctors or nurses, or, and all those jobs are amazing, but there's a big gap in what's there in technology, and nobody mm-hmm. talks to them about it. So I think mm-hmm. we, we're suffering at the moment from the pipeline that's just not there, and that's why you're not getting the diversity through it, because the, the typical, typical guys you get, in, and I'm saying guys quite deliberately, into technology, are the boys who do computer science, yeah. and then they go into... I did as well, by the way. But but I think there's a gap because we're not telling our diverse groups and, and all diversity, you know, social, economic, and all of those. They're not getting a chance to understand what other jobs can be. There. So yeah. there's a pipeline issue, I think. And I think so. Looking at the grassroots mm-hmm. entry yeah. level, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's important. Anything you'd like to add, Gillian, Paul? Do you know, I, I never thought about it like that, but I. Absolutely, completely agree. I'm part of the uh, Graduates Academy, so um, I spend. NHS are a huge technology oh, yeah, academy. Yeah, but they're brilliant in how they make it fair in terms of bringing on, um, you know, the BAME, the late. I want to say ladies, women. And it's about getting in there right at the start and bringing those people on. I mean, I've got um, I've got really diverse teams, and as a leader, sometimes you tend to sort of go towards people that are similar to yourself. And I I have to make a conscious effort not to do that. But NHS Digital have uh, just put in place a capability and capacity process which is a recruitment process which is enabling a really fair system so it's anonymized it's all to do with um, you know the job description your skills doesn't matter your background you know your gender mm-hmm. and it, it's it's brilliant for that sort of thing mm-hmm. so it is it's like you said it's about taking it back to the roots and getting you know those people to understand what tech is and get them really bought into it before I was in a conversation with the uh, Graduates Academy and they were saying about uh, they lose a lot of graduates to Microsoft and mm-hmm. Amazon because everybody wants to work for Amazon and everybody wants to work for Microsoft and I went, but what we need to do we need to look at, rather than waiting for them to finish university why don't we offer what are called higher apprenticeships, so offer them to do the degree through us, yeah. and that way we grab them as soon as they've come out of college, Love rather that. than, you know, yeah. Yeah. they've come out of university, they've graduated, and Microsoft have gone, ah, yes, thank you. <laughs> and so, so yeah, it, it's about getting from the start, rather yeah. than looking at, you know, the actual process prior also, I think like grassroots entry level tech is obviously super important, but also considering that people can enter tech at any point in life. Like we've had conversations, someone I spoke to a couple of weeks ago in their fifties about to start their end their tech career. It's awesome, like there's so much opportunity in tech. Yeah. So I think it's, we've got to be advocates and make sure we're all singing and shouting, everyone including this room, about all the opportunities available to um, people in tech at whatever, at whatever age, whatever background. Um, I'd love to know then, um, obviously you've name dropped a few things already so far, so that's awesome, but if you can share the sort of like best piece of content, either sort of podcasts, uh, videos, Book. blogs that you've seen, books, what have you digested that you top piece of leadership content? Oh, it's got to be your podcast. It has to be the yeah. It's so funny because I've been interviewed on a recruitment podcast before and I said the same one. I was like, like, you're 
podcast is the best. <laughs> I must I must admit though, I do learn quite a lot from these podcasts. So much. Yeah. Yeah. Really yeah. amazing yeah. leaders on the podcast. It's free it's free coaching, free. isn't it, for yeah, us. Exactly. So uh, yeah. yeah, we are really like, super lucky. I specifically enjoyed the um, chimp paradox. I don't know yeah, if you read that. That's a really, really good one. It helps you to want to do some self-management about yeah. that first reaction that you want to have. That might not be the kind reaction. It may not be the right reaction. How to manage that mm. and why that happens and how to win friends and influence people to the bonus. Yes, well. yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think there's uh, all mine contain swear words. Yeah. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. Go on then. I'll let you do a little. Uh, one so more swear word. I think one more. One more. There's, there's F, the subtle art. The subtle art of not giving oh, yeah. an F. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Hashtag CK. Um, <laughs> by uh, something Manson, not Charles Manson. Um, <laughs> and I think, you know, as, as a <laughs> very different book, Different story. And, uh, I think that's the thing. There's not one, you know, go back to diversity. There's mm. not one book that people should listen to that gives them the answers. I think it's there's a... You know, Brené Brown is great. Yeah. John Amici, you know, yeah. promises of giants. You know, there's so many. Like when I grow up, I'll be like Simon Sinek and, and and do sort of his stuff. But it's about what makes sense for you at that right time. Yeah. So there's so much stuff out there. If you Google something, always go to the suggested bit. So if you know yeah. there's a good yeah. podcast that you yeah. like, always then drop down to suggested yeah. because you'll end up finding one that was better than the one you listened to. Yeah, I love that. That's a really good tip, actually. I love that. So before we go into the live Q&A, so hopefully we'll have some questions, which would be awesome. But um, before we go into that, I guess the world we live in now, I don't want to go into the pandemic because I've had enough of it already. So uh, we won't go into it too much. But the the remote world that we live in now, what's the future of tech leadership? What does that look like? What's going to be important? What's going to be the trends? Depends what the world does, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you if you this year, yeah. then let's think short term. How, how gonna... do you see the you know? Because obviously, we, I mean, we work in tech recruitment day in day out, and it's become more and more known that the techies do not want to return to full time in office working, and they just want predominantly remote working positions. How do you tackle that from a culture point of view and a leadership point of view? And what's the future? Yeah, how but how collaboration I I actually don't think we need to. I think if we if we look back over the past two years and how hybrid working has evolved I mean, poor Microsoft were thrown literally in at the deep end in terms of teams. Um so I, you know, I, I still go in the office. I only I go in once, twice a week, depending. Um, but I do have leads who don't come into the office. Mm. We're in a room. We have them on the screen. They can access the whiteboard. I, I personally do not feel the need for us to go back solely to working in the office. Mm. I think it, I think it empowers people. The technology is there. It's available, um, and. It gives us that work-life balance, which mm. prior to COVID, and I know you yeah. don't like talking about the pandemic, but we never <laughs> thought about it, yeah. did we? Well, it's adapting, isn't it? Yeah. It's all about adapting in the future yeah. of leadership and collaboration tools and how we're going to have to yeah. change things as we move. Yeah. And I think you, you've covered so many great points this evening already, but I'd love to open it up to the audience and hopefully at this point I'm going to some questions. Rachel, I'll look at you. Because I'm hoping you <laughs> <laughs> Do we have any live questions? 
Again, like what I was saying before about being on the screen and constantly seeing myself, you can't beat, you know, the commute to work, the coming into the office, and the actually physically speaking to people. And that's how that's how I put it across. You know, you can't sort of you can't get away from the fact that just seeing somebody and you know, you shouldn't say hug, should you? Although I did a bit of hugging when I first did that. <laughs> I can't help it. You know, uh, it, it, for me, it's that human interaction, and I would never force anybody to come back in the office. Absolutely not. But giving, I, I need to understand why they don't want to come in as well. That's the main thing. It's about making it an environment, I guess, yeah. where people want to come in and they can see the benefits. But yeah. I guess from a hiring perspective, as recruiters, naturally we go back to hiring and thinking about that perspective. But most techies don't really want to. So I think it's it's not. I think if you if you force people back, it's not going to help anyone. It's not going to help your teams grow and scale. But by allowing people the option that there is still an office, there is still things going on, there's some great initiatives that you can be a part of in person as well as remote. Making it fun for them to yeah. come in and exactly. you know, so like I'll, I'll interactive sessions. Our technical teams um, have team manifestos, mm. so they decide as a team how they want to work. Yeah. So they would decide that in a two-week sprint, they all want to be in the office on a Thursday and or once every two weeks or when it's the end of sprint ceremonies and they decide that as a team yeah. and that works really well because that actually means that they've combined so nobody's forcing anyone to do anything yeah. they decide themselves it's a team commitment yeah. that's yeah. a really great way of doing it I think it's a chance for organisations to rethink about how they're set up as well Yeah. so an office space is an office space or is it a collaboration space is it a place to ideate and, and to draw things on a whiteboard because it's really hard, even with Teams and Zoom and Miro and all the other tools that are out there, to actually have an interactive yeah. session. So it's a chance for organisations to rethink that. Mm-hmm. So if you want to have a team manifesto and empower the team to say, every few weeks we want to do this, yeah. this will be good for us, then, right, okay, well, think about how your office location is set. Right, I don't need seven floors I need three mm. and I'll save that and then when the teams come in I'll give them a lunch bonus yeah, so they can all go out yeah. and it's that whole empowerment it's about yeah. rethinking and I think like often people don't rethink about the whole thing it's like when people try to shoehorn agile into an organisation yeah. they don't think about the change framework and the finance and the leadership that needs to change as well Yeah. so with returning to office you need to understand your workforce how they work how they would best deliver for you as well, and then rethink it. Hopefully, and just the recruitment of hiring. We also supply biscuits in the office. How? Does anybody have any other questions? Oh, hands, Mick. On a similar vein, what has that meant for your recruitment strategies? It's wider. 
So if you think about like Leeds and North West, then actually now you've got like London, Wales, Scotland, Ireland, anywhere else. <laughs> you've got the whole world at yeah. your doorstep, you know what I mean? I think that's yeah. a challenge then for recruitment as well. I think it is. I think so many people initially and hiring managers particularly like from head of engineering great we can go remote now like the opportunity is endless so is every other employer yeah, and yeah, you're yeah. now not just battling the leads market yeah. you're battling you're the whole of the UK yeah. doing it. so it's about looking at your options mm. and, and how you're going to sell yourselves on a wider scale there's no point in just relying oh we got we can now approach further afield yeah. because they might not be interested in you because there's so many other companies doing the same exactly. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it is a real opportunity, but there's challenges as well with it. And, I and think the diversity been, links into that as well. I think so. From a so diversity cultures perspective, and great. backgrounds as yeah. well. Yeah. So, you know, I've recently stepped into a role where there's different cultures and different ways of doing the same thing yeah. because of where they're based yeah. and where the company's based. So you may, like, recruit someone from Germany or... Or Sweden or Holland or something like that, and, and they'll have a totally different work ethic and yeah. how they how they balance their work life harmony rather than mm. balance. Mm. So I think balances can go either way. Harmony yeah. is where it's a little bit better. Like that. There we go. Perfect. Any more questions? I think we had one from Richard. Rich? Yeah. During lockdown down the country, there was a lot of families and children that didn't have access to tech. How can tech leaders and tech businesses help close that gap? Love that question. Brilliant question. And that's something that we're hoping to achieve and, and reduce that situation as much as possible with the Leeds Digital Ball and, co- and collaborating and partnering with Leeds Community Foundation. Mm-hmm. But it would be great to understand if any of the panel and your businesses have initiated any programmes to... Guys, to see if there's any initiatives that your businesses have run or any ideas that you guys have got where we can reduce that. Um, so, for, uh, it wasn't it wasn't sort of NHS digital focused, but um, as part of the local schools and the communities, what they did on Facebook is they put out uh, a request for any like unused technology, so laptops, iPhones, iPads, anything that anybody weren't using, so that any of the children that weren't in school could have access. Now, uh, one thing that Vodafone did, which was brilliant, was they handed out a load of SIM cards as well, which, which could be used. So the children that couldn't go into school and didn't have the ability to have the technology uh, to be able to log into mm. the uh, classroom um, um, sessions or anything like that were part of that. So that, I, I, I mean, I did give a couple of, uh, I had a couple of mobiles lying about, mm-hmm. um, but what was what I really liked was it was a community thing. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, the area that I live in isn't really affluent, and uh, there was a lot of children that didn't have access. So um, yeah, I mean, we we you know as a family we sort of became part of that. As as NHS Digital, I'm going to point to Sam because I'm not sure what we did in terms 
of uh, that, but because we're public sector, I think we're you know we're very limited. Yeah. Mm. I think a lot of the businesses that support, I know obviously I do a lot in tech consultancy recruitment that supported the NHS and some businesses that had some projects off the back of the pandemic. They yeah. like literally upgraded all of their kit and, yeah. and, and mm. farmed it out to the local community. But it's not done enough. There's more to, more to be There's done. Yeah. We need to work yeah. on that digital yeah. divide. We're only going to do it. All but by again, all. it's what it's opened up into. It's yeah. not just during the pandemic. It's what is, it's what's now made us see because yeah. you know my son's at college. They're still not back into college full yeah. time. Yeah. You know, so it's sort of the future as well, and what it what it's opened up, and what is what it's made us see that you know not every house has broadband, not every yeah. house has yeah. a laptop. And it's only going to get worse this, yeah. this year for many families, which is mm. just it's scary in itself, isn't it? Changes on broadband. Yeah. Rach, I think you had a question for us. Yeah, so there's so many companies out there that are doing remote working really well. Why do you think that um, the companies that are around us in Leeds and, and around, around the country are so fearful to kind of take that on and be full-time remote workers? Yeah, I mean, it's a really great question because a lot of companies still haven't. There's not yeah. many businesses that Don't I work with fully that have Cleveland over there from EMIS, <laughs> they have committed and changed their contracts to fully remote contracts. Mm-hmm. I don't think there may be a couple of other businesses in Leeds that a lot haven't fully. Jonathan, yours yeah, are. So, uh, it's probably NHS. Yeah. I was having a growing team, so in the midst of the pandemic, I've got the opposite problem. Remote working is a mm. new diversity trend, yeah. and people are not addressing that yet. Yeah. So, in the same way that people didn't address this type of diversity and this type, and everyone focused on women in tech rather yeah. than women from this culture or and this background, background in tech, in tech. And, yeah. and, and this that. So, the new diversity in tech and thing is remote mm. working, mm. and the pandemic has brought that to the fore. Yeah. So, we need to address it in the right way. It's not so, just about remote working, though. It's about 
flexible work. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The whole, the whole, we've talked about location. Yeah. It's been, so I've been around my teeth for quite a, quite a while. And mm-hmm. It's been a massive change in the mentality. So you've gone from work is sorry Simon work is a place rather than than an output. Measurements have changed, so yeah. you know, as people aren't, aren't measured on presenteeism anymore. Yeah. And I think you know, organisations have got to the point now where they're not bothered if you're working seven o'clock in the morning and then breaking at lunch and doing. Things. You know, there's a lot more flexibility about how you work, not just where you work. So tech leadership is about adjusting the thought of the company. And the, I, I worked in utilities for quite a while, so <laughs> well. And the, the mentality was that the, the working practice was global across the utility because they couldn't accommodate ways of working that worked for tech people because mm-hmm. guys who were out digging holes in roads couldn't be accommodated for that as well, so they didn't do it. Yeah. And I think the pandemic for all of the bad things has really opened up the thinking on it. Yeah. Real benefit. Mm. Any Good more point. questions, Jonathan? Uh, just built out on what Paul said earlier, about rethinking and redefining where we're at. Yeah. We've got the technology. We've worked with outsourced teams around the world for years. We're suddenly forced into the situation where we're telling people that the foreseeable future you will work with more. We'll work with this model, but now in digital we're actually you can save money by reducing office space if you don't think it would be even once. If you open the door and say, How do we work? Well, then that's the cooperation comments. How do you want to work? Mm-hmm. You get better output from this. Yeah. How are we doing for time then? Got a few more questions left? One more question. One more question. Make it a killer question. Right, so yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> <laughs> No pressure, no pressure. <laughs> There's a lot of work flexible working, so how about you know, the one which is more in a buzzword now, about four days a week? Four days yeah, a week. Working. Especially for over 40s. <laughs> 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 oh, I think even over 30 start getting tired on that yeah, picture. Yeah, I you might on that one. <laughs> I think it's a, it's a great question, like four days a week, go back to Simon, like flexible working. Mm. It's not about how much presenteeism you are there, it's about your outcome. What you yeah, actually do and what you're doing in your role. So if you can do what you need to do in four days a week, two days mm. a week, fine. So what? It's brilliant. So it's it's about reframing that thinking. It's not about clocking in, signing in, doing your job. You know, I can't swear, can I? I uh, <laughs> <laughs> you you show like, your swear card. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. It's about changing that thinking. So four days... Yeah, whatever. I agree. Things we trialed as a business, we trialed four day working week about what, two almost two years ago. Before the pandemic hit, we trialed it for nine months and the first three months we had some teething problems and we tweaked it along the way and actually we got towards the end and it was working pretty well. Mm. Um and then obviously the pandemic hit and I'll be honest, we didn't deal with it or I didn't deal with it in the best possible way. Um, however, we've learned a lot from that, and as a leader, I've learned a lot from that. Um, and now, on reflection, you know, the, the question that you just asked, and, and we've a few other people have asked around flexibility and working hours, and you know, and what Paul's just touched on. We've had, we've got people who, and we would never, particularly I, would never have ever signed this off previously. So we've got guys that literally 
what whatever hours they want to work, but we know and we trust that they get the job done. It doesn't matter. They could wake up at at 10, 11 o'clock, start work at 12 and do, you know, maybe even only do six hours that day, but they're producing the results and it's all about we're working towards becoming an outputs-driven organisation. And I think that's where we all need to learn and work together and collaborate together to become and create that culture and environment in the thing is, the, the nine to five Monday to Friday was it's, set how many years ago when yeah. life was so different and we didn't have all the technologies, the digital eras. It's just, it is more outdated, isn't it? So it's about having that flexibility moving forward. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably all we've got time for. One last question. One last then go away and, and make your business more efficient by offshoring it. But if you want a little bit more understanding about what you're doing and it's closer to home, makes you feel safer, then, mm. then keep it onshore. I think you've got to look and you've got to flex. And if you say, we are never going to do that, then you're an idiot. I think you've got to be open-minded really, exactly what you just touched on. Well, there's that open-minded place. It's, yeah, exactly. It's a nice place in a situation. But being open-minded and ultimately you want that collaboration and that um, contact and that feeling of, going back to imposter syndrome, you know, that feeling of being accepted and working together and being collaborative. It's oh, well done, Mick. You stumped to someone. Like yeah, you did. So it's a great one to Sweet. end with, but... <laughs> Our guardian's piping up. <laughs> So just want to say again a massive thank you to our sponsors for this evening, Scott Logic. A massive uh, thank you to our wonderful speakers, Paul, Marcia, and Gillian. Um, hope everyone's enjoyed the podcast. Please um, click to download our series; that'd be amazing. Mm-hmm. Follow us on social media, and um, yeah, just want to say a massive thank you to our live audience for joining us here tonight at the Scott Logic offices. Thank you. <laughs>
everyone for listening to our Let's Talk Leadership podcast, The Culture Edit. If you would like to talk all things thought leadership and how you've embedded a positive organisational culture, get in touch. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and stay tuned by subscribing to us on Spotify or YouTube for future episodes. Stay tuned for our next one. Bye for now, guys.